0: But the interests of the nation must always come before any personal considerations. From the discussions I have had with Congressional and other leaders, I have concluded that because of the Watergate matter, I might not have the support of the Congress that I would consider necessary to back the very difficult decisions and carry out the duties of this office in the way the interests of the nation will require. Therefore, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Vice President Ford will be sworn in as president at that hour in this office. First of all, I just want to tell you what a great show you got. I listen to you all the time. Thank you, thank you. What do you want to talk about? Hey, did I tell you guys I got a code? As president, my primary concern must always be the greatest good of all the people of the United States, whose servant I am. As a man, my first consideration is to be true to my own convictions and my own conscience. My conscience tells me clearly and certainly that I cannot prolong the bad dreams that continue to reopen a chapter that is closed. My conscience tells me that only I, as president, have the constitutional power to firmly shut and seal this book. A little column a, a, little column B. Yeah, baby! <laughs> well, good morning, good evening, or good afternoon, wherever you are, whatever you do. A lot of things happening in the world today. Most of them are far beyond our control, you might say. So perhaps it's time we took a pause and thought about life and thought about the laws of gravity, the Constitution, Richard Milhouse Nixon, bills of attainder, Huawei, President Trump, politics and or the news. Don't touch that dial. Just try to hear me out for a while. Well, on August 8th, 1974, President Nixon announced that he would resign the presidency at noon the following day. The battle over his tape recordings and papers, however, was just beginning. And today, the results of that battle may come into play for another president who, it was announced yesterday, is not, not guilty. Possibly. Maybe. What else is new? Am I right? Here's how you get a hold of me. The text machine is area code 209-565-DAVE. That's 209-565-3283. The email, dave at show.com And you can use your preferred non-denominational web search browser to take you to show.com. Or to find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes. Ego by Barry Kapula said, "I live I drink coffee that others might live." Well, it was a long time ago. I remember it very, very well. But some of you may not be old enough to remember. Good old tricky Dick <laughs> it was. Uh, it's a weird time, man. It really was a weird time in, in this country. President Richard Nixon was elected to the presidency in 1968, in uh, what was a kind of a, a, a landslide election. It was a it was a very con- it was a very contested. There was a lot of crap going on. People with Vietnam and everything else, and Nixon had a plan to end Vietnam War. and And the Democrat Party was was shattered. It was broken. The 68 convention had been a mess. Nixon gets a rec- elected president, and. Like most presidents, he settles into the White House and produces massive amounts of paperwork. Um, this was an era before personal computers. Even, even word processors were non-existent at that point. They, they, everything was typewritten. Everything was written down. And Nixon, as you may or may not know, had installed into the Oval Office a tape recording system, which was sound activated and recorded essentially everything that was said inside the Oval Office. The problem with that system was that it was sound activated, so literally any sound in the White House, in the Oval Office area, would start the recording. So if somebody went to the bathroom and flushed the toilets, which are apparently pretty loud in the Oval Office, it would start recording. If someone was vacuuming, it would start recording. And so many of the recordings are or were uh, essentially useless. But as you know, many of the recordings were, in fact, uh, direct evidence that President Nixon knew what was going on in Watergate and participated in the cover-up. What did the president know? When did he know it? And in fact, the main evidence against him being those tapes, or more precisely, the tapes that somehow or another, nobody, nobody will admit how, managed to get erased 18 minutes of the tapes most compelling testimony the most compelling recordings were the where they were really discussing the meat of the conspiracy suddenly went zzzz, just silent I mean they well they were erased um, I don't know if they used bit bleach on them or not I, I have no idea but but the tapes were erased and and that was the culmination of a lot of things the Nixon presidency had been... Well, it was a it was a strange as I said it was a strange presidency. He's the only president to ever have resigned, but it, there was a lot of stuff going on and one of these days maybe we need to get into all of the issues that were going on in the country at that point. But the upshot of the whole shooting match was that on August 8th, 1974, Nixon resigned the presidency effective noon on August 9th and uh, his vice president who had Been appointed, not elected, because his Nixon's original vice president, a guy by the name of Spiro T. Agnew, had to had to resign first over some tax issues. Tax issues. Hint, hint. He said foreshadowingly, Uh, Nixon had made Ford the the vice president. President Ford became president of the United States. Now. Whether you like President Ford or President Carter, really not the issue here, but they faced some interesting problems in the United States, one of which was that after President Nixon resigned, or, well, it happened after he resigned, Congress of the United States began debating a law. The law was entitled the Presidential Recording and Materials Act of 1974, and it was unique in the history of the United States. Never before had there been such a law. Prior to 1974, prior to this law, all presidential papers, all of those millions of papers that had been produced over the course of the of the presidency were considered private. They belonged to the president of the United States personally, and they could only be released if he decided to do so. But here was the problem that Congress had was this, this, uh, all of these papers, all of these papers, which had contributed and recordings had contributed to his resignation. And Congress was afraid that if those papers were not available to them, not only would they not be able to impeach President Nixon, which they had, had voted on July 27th to impeach him, but they would not be able to make any criminal prosecutions if those papers were not available. And so they passed, again, the Presidential Recordings and Materials Act of 1974. This act had several effects. Number one, it applies only to President Nixon. The Act of 1974 did not apply to any other president, to any other person, to any other place, any other time. It only applied to President Nixon. Number two, it ordered the National Archivist's to seize documents, to walk into the president's home slash office, it essentially was a warrant that authorized them to seize all documents that were, quote, related to his constitutional duties. The problem was, of course, <laughs> 46 million documents. How in the world is the archivist supposed to stand there in, in the foyer and figure out which ones are which? So they ended up taking them all is what ended up happening. The docs were then going to be reviewed by the National Archivist to determine which ones had impact from a constitutional standpoint. In other words, which documents are private, which documents are personal, and which ones are we going to keep? And the law specifically said that these documents were being used, they were going to be seized and held for the potential use of judicial proceedings. In other words, it was not clear when President Nixon resigned, whether or not he was going to be put on trial or not. not The impeachment thing obviously went away, but remember impeachment is a political act. It is not a criminal act. Impeachment doesn't even require a criminal act. It simply requires whatever high crimes and misdemeanors Congress has decided is, is worthy of impeachment. And so, But there was still the issue of Watergate. There was still the issue of you know crimes having been committed and whether or not the president what did the president know when did he know it and we're going to need these papers then as proof these papers and recordings we're going to need that as proof to show that he was uh, intimately involved in the cover-up in the meantime of course on september 8th 1974 uh, president ford i still remember watching this speech um i i don't you know i was i was it was a few days from being 11 years old and what I remember most about it was it, it was it just captured the whole nation. This was one of those times where everybody was tuned in and nothing really big had happened. There wasn't a landing on the moon. There wasn't an assassination. There was none of that. I mean, it was just Ford announcing that he had decided to pardon President Nixon. If you ever listen to the speech, it's it, it starts with one of the most convoluted sentences you've ever heard in your life. It's beautiful. Uh, it's so it's so Gerald Ford, <laughs> it really is. But ultimately, he had to rationalize why he was doing this, and and I think he did a good job of that. Whether you agree with the pardon or not, it's hard to argue with his reasons for doing so. In the meantime, however, President Nixon, now former President Nixon, had objected to the Presidential Recordings and Materials Act and had filed a case against the act which was essentially signed by President Ford in December of 1974. Now, these dates are kind of, I know dates are hard to follow, but they're important. So he resigns on August 8th. He's pardoned on September 8th. The law goes into effect on December 18th, 1974. And then President Nixon files his argument, his case against it. It goes all the way to the United States Supreme Court. We don't have time to go through all that, but what you need to understand is it goes all the way there. His argument was that it was the, that the law, the Presidential Recordings and Materials Act, was a de facto bill of attainder. Now, we'll come back to that. We'll circle back to that in just a moment. He also argued that it, sorry, I clicked the, because it applied only to him and seized documents related to his constitutional duties, it was, in fact, a bill of attainder. He, believed, he argued that it violated the separation of powers, that Congress did not have the authority or the right to do this. And that by the fact that it seized all of his documents for the National Archivist to decide, it violated his personal privacy. Lastly, he believed that it violated his First Amendment right to association. But, you know, is it really all of that? His big argument, of course, was that it was a bill of attainder. It was a de facto bill of attainder, and this was his, his primary argument. Now, what is a bill of attainder? In the Constitution, it says... Bill of attainder shall not be passed. A bill of attainder is an item of legislation, or an order by the king, which inflicts attainder without any judicial process. (laughs) Okay, Um, what does that mean? Well, attainder is the loss of property or civil rights as a result of a law rather than a judicial conviction. So back in the days when, uh, you know, kings ran everything, uh, Anne Bouillon is a good example of a bill of attainder. The king passed a law specifically aimed at executing Anne Bullion. Uh Catherine Howard, <laughs> Henry VIII, had a lot of this going on. Uh, the Duke of Be- Buckingham, Edward Stafford, was executed by Henry in 1521. Um Let's see, Thomas Cromwell, former principal secretary to Henry VIII, was arrested at a Privy Council meeting. Uh, Charles II, deceased by the time of the registration, uh, was served with a bill of attainder dating back to January of 1649. It, it's a bill that without, the, there's a specific item that it does that, that we got to get into. It, it, it must target a single person or a single group of people that are clearly defined in the legislation it must impose some form of punishment whether that is death or loss of property or loss of civil rights most importantly it must specifically bar any court trial for the wrongdoing in other words there's no possibility here that uh that we're going to put you in front of a judge or, or a jury. They're not going to decide we've already essentially functioned legislatively or executively as judge, jury, and trial judge, jury, and, and, uh, you know, media. And we've, we've sentenced you and we've decided what the sentence we will impose is. And of course, this went all the way to the United States Supreme court, as you can imagine. Now keep in mind, There's a couple of things you got to keep in mind here that are very important to this that that will have some play here. Number one, Nixon had been pardoned of all crimes that he may have committed or did commit or whatever. And so there is no possibility of him facing a criminal trial now. Furthermore, there is this question of whether or not uh, these papers are really his or not. In 1939 FDR had started the the process by which presidents start to donate their papers to presidential libraries he he donated he made his available to the national archives through his presidential library in 1939 later on laws will be passed that will require this to happen and in fact one of those laws is part of the reason we're talking about this today but uh, but the reality is that Prior to that point, it it had never been considered public before. These papers were always considered that. But now here was Congress saying, we want those papers and you will hand them over and we will decide what we keep and what you get back. Well, you can see where this is kind of a bill of attainder, where Nixon argues that his property is being taken because prior to this, it had been always considered the president's property. And so he was concerned about this. But it was kind of a moot point because, again, he wasn't being prosecuted. He couldn't be prosecuted. The nation had more or less moved on. And by the time this thing got to the courts in 1977, it was, we'd already been through another election. Most of the country was ready to move on from Watergate at that particular point. The Supreme Court ruled in early 78, I believe, that the that the particular law the presidential recordings and Materials Act was in fact constitutional on a seven to two ruling and and without getting into all of it, when, you know we're not even going to address the First Amendment issues and those kind of things. The only one I'm really interested in here is the Bill of attainder the, the the court ruled that this act did not convict President Nixon of any crime, nor did it expose him to any prosecution. so, you kind of gotta throw that one out the window from a bill of attainder standpoint because there was no punishment, and it didn't it didn't even convict him of a crime. It didn't even accuse him of a crime. It also said that the court said that you know this is serving as an example for future presidents of a lot of things what not to do, what to do, what you know, and indeed. You could Nixon continues to pop up in our political analysis of everything. It doesn't matter which president you're talking about. Every president at some point or another does something that gets them compared to Nixon. So the court was right. This whole act, this whole collection of their papers, this whole thing could could serve as an example for future presidents. And in fact, in 1979 or 78, I believe Congress passed a law which went into effect in 1981 that from that point forward, all presidential papers were considered public. They were they belonged to the nation, not to the presidency. Now, there's some limits to that, but as a general rule of thumb, that's been the case ever since. Why? Because as the court ruled, the purpose of the original act in 1974 was to preserve history, not to punish the former president. So, that's what the court ruled. Why does any of this matter today? Well you won't be surprised that the current president has created some waves when it comes to uh, comparisons to Richard Nixon again and 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 again I'm not we're not judging the president today we're not even whether you like the president or don't like the president is not relevant to me w- but what we're what we're watching is a very much a similar type of political reaction in the sense that you know our congressman this morning announced that he was calling for an impeachment investigation the uh, the despite the fact that the evidence, which is public, is is questionable. Through the years, there have been discussions. One of them was uh, this was introduced a few years, a couple of years ago. Uh, Senator or uh, Representative Mike Quigley of, of Illinois actually introduced an act, which he called the Kofa V Act, which was kind of poking fun at the president. To further amend the presidential act of the, the, the follow-on law from 1980s, that, that now it would include social media as part of that public record. That was the first one. And of course, the president, not all that impressed with that. But the bigger issues right now is there are two cases that are making their way through the court systems and, in fact, are argued that the both laws are bills of attainder. The first comes from the state of New York which passed a law recently, which by law allows the state of New York to release Donald Trump's and only Donald Trump's state tax returns to the Congress of the United States, specifically three committees of the United States uh, Congress, if they request them. And, of course, that all is predicated on uh, they can only do so if Congress has already obtained via whatever method Trump's uh, Trump's uh, IRS tax returns. So the state of New York has passed a law which applies only to Donald Trump and releases what has hitherto been considered private property to the Congress of the United States under certain conditions. That's the first one that's making its way through the court system. And and no big surprise here, Trump's argument is that that is a bill of attainder. You are passing a law that only affects me, that only, that that could impose some form of punishment. In this particular case, it it seizes property, and it specifically bars a court trial for the wrongdoing. There's no hearing, there's no, uh, the state of New York set a condition on this, which is that Congress, as long as Congress has met single condition, which is that they have his IRS returns, they will give him, they will give Congress his state returns. That seems a little hinky to me. I mean, by the very definition that the court set up over a bill of attainder test, it seems to fail on all three accounts. Now, whether you think that Trump's tax returns are relevant or not, change it up a little bit and put yourself in that position. If your state, if the state of Washington passed a specific law saying that my state tax returns, which we don't have here because we don't file state taxes, uh, can be released to, say, the state of California, would that not meet the definition of a bill of attainder? Why would they be doing this? California might do this to to some people. Who knows? The second case, which is is also making its way through the court system down in Texas right now, is that... Of, uh, of Huawei. Huawei, of course, the Chinese electronic company that the government of the United States has said is essentially the Chinese government's electronics company. Through a long set of circumstances and strategic blunders and the likes of that, the United States has found itself reliant on Huawei's uh, electronics for, for any number of defense purposes. The Trump administration... Signed a law passed by Congress that ascends the Defense Authorization, the most recent Defense Authorization Act, which forbids the United States from doing business with Huawei. In addition to that, President Donald Trump signed an executive order that that further made uh, made further inroads into that not just not just doing business with him, but putting some other limitations as well. And Huawei's argument, Huawei of the United States. Uh, which is incorporated here in the United States is, is arguing that that is again, is a bill of attainder in that it targets only us. It's taking away our civil rights to do business, some form of punishment. And it has the president deciding and Congress deciding that we've done something wrong without any presentation of evidence in a court of law whatsoever. Hmm. So kind of a, uh, Kind of a sticky wicket there, isn't it? I mean, on the one hand, you have defense considerations, but on the other hand, you have the fact that these people are stealing from us, or that's what we're being told they are doing. And now they are claiming that their right; their civil rights, are being violated by Congress and a president who have both created bills of attainder, which punish them without due process, in essence. That's what a bill of attainder does those two cases are both making their way through the court system right now even as we speak they are happening and because they are happening well you kind of get this feeling that you're going to hear a lot about bills of attainder over the next few few weeks and few months and arguments about whether or not these two particular laws the state of New York and the and the federal government's defense authorization act are in fact bills of attainder designed to punish a single person without any you know, trial without any evidence actually being presented. That's, I think that's the biggest consideration here. Is There's no evidence actually being considered by a judicial system. It's simply a finding by the president and or Congress and boom, off we go. Or by the state of New York saying, hey, we have some of your property and we're just going to give it away because, you know, we don't like you. And so my question to that, of course, and, and I think the question that's going to be asked is if there's something wrong with his tax returns in the state of New York, why? I mean, I made a mistake once in California, and you th- you'd think the Franchise Tax Board had me on speed dial, for God's sake. I'll give you this. They're they're actually easy to deal with. But if there was a problem with it, why didn't the state of New York deal with it instead of handing it to Congress saying, look, look, look here? It raises a lot of questions. And, of course, bills tainder, as you may know were once referred to by by John Adams as being absolutely horrible for liberty. They are one of the biggest assaults on liberty. They are one of the biggest affronts to liberty that you can possibly have. And that's why the framers of the Constitution banned them. And it's why it continues to be discussed even today. Because somehow or another, you know, like like Congress people standing on the front porch of the, co- of the, of the uh, Capitol building saying, oh, I didn't know that was in the Constitution. It almost seems like Congress doesn't even know what this is. Most Americans don't know what a bill of attainder is. And yet, we're willing to pass laws to punish people. It's, it's quite closely related to ex post facto, but not quite exactly the same thing. The, uh, in 1998, by the way, the court system ruled that 38 million of those $46 million documents that they seized from Nixon were, in fact, private and should have been, A, never seized in the first place, and B, returned them. It's kind of a pyrrhic victory for the Nixon archives, but uh, the estate of Nixon, but they did get the documents back. You'd be happy to know that they destroyed them almost immediately. That's that's about as Nixon as, as, as you can get. And in 2017, the Nixon estate released all of the remaining documents. So if you've got time and you're interested, you can go to his presidential library and peruse them. Well, except for the ones that were destroyed because, or the ones that were erased. Those you can't look at. We'll keep an eye on, see what happens with Huawei and with New York and the bills of attainder. That's how stuff works. It affects everything even today, folks. And that's what we talk about on Constitution Thursday. I got to get going. Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in your life you love them very much. You'd miss them if they weren't there. So don't pass up those opportunities you don't want to have that regret. Plausibly Live, I'm Dave Bowman. This is my show, The Dave Bowman Show, right here on the Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. This has been Constitution Thursday. See you tomorrow, everybody. Dave Bowman Show is a Slippery Fish Entertainment production for the Podcast 99 Internet Radio Network. For more information or to complain about how the show offended you, the text or voicemail number is 209-565-DAVE. For more information about the show, log on to the Hey, I'm going to go do something productive. I'm going to go watch television.